2012 is the time. Johnny Clegg, The Crossing, we've never before played one song, two nights running, and it is the perfect coincidence because that song, as just played, specifically chosen by our guest this evening, all of us at once now, tonight is the hashtag Tuesday Takeover. Mr. Ross Falk is our guest this evening, Managing Director at MSC Cruises. Hmm. There might be a surprise for one or two. Just keep listening. I know you guys love freebies. I know you guys love surprises. Just keep listening. I say no more than that. Ross, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Good evening, Sangezo. Thanks so much for allowing me on <coughs> here and uh, greetings to your listeners. I know you put me on the spot with, with a freebie, but we'll, uh, we'll look at it. It's a way of getting people to keep listening. Don't worry about that. <laughs> How about this for a biography, guys? As MD of MSC Cruises, South Africa, Ross Folk is responsible for growing the cruising market in South Africa. He joined the company in 2015 as the CFO following a varied and successful auditing career, first at KPMG. His 12 years there instilled in him a love for travel, visiting some 75 countries while working as a senior manager for the company. I have some way in catching up. I'm just over the double figures, but nowhere near 20. Anyway, it is this diversity of experience and exposure that has served Ross well since he was promoted to MD of MSC Cruises in South Africa in December 2016. He leads a team of individuals who are passionate about helping South Africa discover the hidden gems of cruising. He strongly believes in leading by example and is committed to working alongside his colleagues to ensure that cruising becomes a popular holiday destination that South Africans love. Ross Folk is no more. Sipo Vilagazi is now because he confirms to me he styles himself as a Sipo both at the country club to which he belongs in Johannesburg and in his office. The MD doesn't go by his name. So if you're going to go to MSC Cruises looking for Ross, <laughs> it will take a while for them to find him, but if you say Sipo, they know exactly where to go. Top floor, executive suite. Sipo, good evening, man. Good evening. Thanks very much. And uh, you, 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 did, you did too much justice to the intro. Thanks very much. Well, you've done it, and you've done it on your own, starting off in Zimbabwe. A brief biography. Yeah, I, I was born in Zimbabwe. I grew up there for the early part of my life, and I moved down to South Africa because my parents wanted an opportunity uh, to be down here. Um, I finished my schooling here in, uh, in Fourways, Fourways High School, and then went to the University of Advertisement to go and study to be an accountant. I started out to being an actuary, but I realized I had a little bit more personality than that, so uh, I changed <laughs> over to being, a, to being a chartered accountant. I don't know maybe what's, what's better. Um, and then, yeah, I joined KPMG. It was a great experience. It's a wonderful corporation. I've been through a bit, but uh, it, it has very strong values and it's a very good they company. They have been through a bit. They We're have. Go they there. have. We won't go there. there. But it's a good, a good bunch of people. Um, and I learned a lot. And I was very thankful for all the experience I had there. And then I joined MSC in 2015 looking for new opportunities. And uh, that's where I am today. Wonderful opportunity that it is. Headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, you confirmed just before yes. we went yep. on air. Tell me about the company, the profile, its presence here in South Africa, and especially its value. I mean, you're obviously operating in the tourism industry, but also in the hospitality industry as well. Yeah, so the organization is part of a wider group, the MSC Cargo Division, which was started in 1967 by uh, John Luigi Aponte, uh, who still owns the business. Um, he sort of had a vision of wanting to, to transport cargo, and he started that. He grew it into a very successful business. Today, it's the second largest uh, cargo business in the world, the, f the largest family-owned cargo business, and I think soon to be the, the, the largest. 
In 2003, he formally started the cruise division, but he'd been operating vessels before that, uh, the Achille Lauro um, and various other vessels on, on charter. But 2003 was the sort of formalization of MSC Cruises. Um, and 2010 through 2012 was the sort of acquisition of MSC Cruises in South Africa through the GSA. And it's grown from strength to strength. Um, you know, last year, we, or not <coughs> last year, 2019, we carried in excess of 115,000 passengers in South Africa. And alone. Alone. And globally, you know, our target is 5 million passengers by 2027. So we have a huge investment block, which we've managed to maintain during uh, during COVID. You have? Yep. So we've committed to all of our ship builds. Um, we've managed to grow. We released or, or took a delivery of two vessels this year. Um, when you say we, of course, you're talking about South I'm talking, Africa. No, no, I'm talking the global, global. business. Global, okay. okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've continued our commitment to to sustainable growth. You know, I think one of the big things that we need to look at and talk about is the ocean economy or the green, the blue economy. And it's something that is very passionate within MSC. They're looking to uh, to grow that sustainability. Um, next year, we take delivery of the first LNG-powered vessel, so a lower carbon footprint. Brilliant. And we're looking at evolving Brilliant. all of our fleet into, into zero carbon emissions. It's a passion of the family. And, and I think because it's a family-run business, it's incredibly uh, sort of strong in family values. Yes, sure. uh, it talks about... Um, you know, growth from within, uh, development, um, and is very fast and responsive in terms of making decisions. South Africa doesn't, well, we might, but not something to write home about. An ocean's economy is something we don't have. We've got, what, 3,000 kilometers of coastline. We're really not tapping into it as much as we should. And in many respects, I mean, there are sovereignty issues attached to that because of all the trawling vessels that are operating in our EEZs. Let's talk about the fact that you started in 2016, around about the time the president at the time, Mr. Zuma, was launching Operation Pakisa. It wouldn't have been long when he had launched that you took over, and that would have been something that you had uh, would have given thought to certainly coming in as an MD. Yeah, I think for me, my, my passion lies in educating <coughs> people and making sure that education is at the heart of uh, whatever we do and what, whatever society does. I think it's the only way that we can grow ourselves. So in terms of Operation Pakisa and all of the goals that it set, um, MSCs looked at that and, and tried to develop uh, strategies to, to fulfill some of those things. And actually, in the coming weeks, we are going to welcome the investment in Durban, which again, we continued through COVID, of a new cruise terminal, which is uh, to rival the, the best in the world. So we've implemented or we've invested 300 million rand in this project. Um, it's been five or six years in the making with uh, with TNPA. It's a public-private partnership with uh, TNPA. Mm -hmm. And we've invested 300 million rand in this, and uh, we're going to see the, the, the sort of construction finish in the next couple of weeks, and we're going to take ownership of it. It is obviously in a joint venture with a black-empowered company, um, which we're very proud of um, because it also encompassed, you know, dedicating resources within the construction space to development, internships, and education of uh, of South Africans. It's also been one where procurement was sourced almost exclusively within the South African borders. That's other what I like to hear. Absolutely. That's empowerment yeah. in the true sense. Other than the steel that had to come from a fabrication plant overseas because there was no skill set in, in South Africa, everything else was sourced locally and, and in many cases within the, the confines of KZN border. The government entity, that's part of the Triple P, which one is that? TNPA, Transnet. Oh, Transnet, Transport. Yeah. National Ports, Ports Authority. Authority. Yep. Correct. Okay, well, it's 2019. I'm in conversation with officially Mr. Rosfolk, but for the purposes of this conversation and everything else after that, Mr. Sipo Vilagazi, the Managing Director of Mediterranean Shipping Company Cruises.
Styles, MSC Cruisers. Let's have a conversation with him. Let's have a conversation to him. And let's just raise one or two points, not necessarily about cruise shipping itself, but I mean, more especially in the context of what he has contributed to the business that they are in. And there's clearly opportunity and there's scope for growth in the country. And of the things that he has already mentioned, I mean, there must have been a teaser or two for you people for you people out there, especially entrepreneurs, particularly around the KZN area, because that's where they operate from largely their cruise vessels. After this very short break, we continue the conversation. And in 10 minutes from now, he will be, as always on a Tuesday when I have a guest, the actual host of the show, Mr. Rolfsfolk. After the break, the conversation continues. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. We're talking tourism, we're talking shipping and cruising, and we're talking the ocean's economy, Mr. Ross Falk, Managing Director, MSC Cruises, MSC Mediterranean Shipping Companies. Here's my guest this evening for the next eight or so minutes, after which he will take over and have a conversation with guests that he has chosen himself. He has been the MD of the company since December 20. 16 and never did he think when he took over he would ever have to contend with a once in a millennia pandemic as COVID has been. Let's talk about the impact of COVID then, Ross, because I mean, you've been at the business now just shy of five years, of which two essentially have been COVID. That could never have been something one you anticipated or frankly prepared for, because I mean, how do you prepare for a once in a hundred year pandemic? I think that uh, COVID's caught all of us by surprise, and it's something that we're going to have to adapt to going forward. Um, Never in my wildest dreams did I think I'd ever have to be prepared for it. And I don't think there is a course at university or anything that can prepare you for it. So you have to work with it and and follow some practical values and, and work through it. And the company has been very good to its, its employees and uh, and everything globally, and that's helped us to also free up our ability to to manage the pandemic in a flexible fashion. Um, you know, tourism's still in a in a dire strait. So, just looking at some of the statistics, I think it shedded something in the region of 67 million jobs worldwide in 2020. Um, you know, 10% of the world's GDP and 10% of the world's employment happened through uh, the tourism sector. And in 2019, one in four jobs was uh, new jobs created was in the tourism sector. Mm. So, the importance of it is is really something that's hugely uh, underestimated, I think, by governments across the world. And, you know, one of the guests that I have this evening is going to talk a little bit about that. So, you know, we, we, need to, we need to focus on how we're going to grow this sector because I think it has an incredibly important space within the employment goals of, of South Africa to try and bring the youth into, into employment. There are challenges around that. I mean, there are challenges, I mean, never mind the COVID restrictions that are at play and perhaps government policy that might not necessarily be optimal for uptake in tourism. But one would think tourism would be an easy sell. South Africa has great climate. It Well, I'm not so sure if it holds true now as much as it might have then, but it is the gateway to Africa. It's still for a large extent, if not exclusive extent, certainly not. But South Africa has been a brand that sells itself, but at many times the brand has been hurt by a couple of own goals in the administration of the country, shall we say. That has, of course, got a serious impact in the tourism industry. But yourselves, you mentioned the fact that you guys have largely kept yourselves going. You've grown in certain areas. You've managed to keep your employment. This is quite antithetical, if you like, to what is actually happening out there. You've just given us the numbers. What then is the key driver behind certain companies being able, if you like, to absorb the shock of it all? 
I think it's got a lot to do with the fact that some companies have very agile management and are resilient. Um, it's also, I would imagine, a part of, of luck in terms of it. And also, we're part of a wider group that has a very diversified kind of focus. So cargo does well, cruises you know, need support or vice versa. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of factors are contributing to MSC success. But one thing that is important as well, I think, is that their commitment to management and their family values has has carried the business through uh, because everyone works for a common cause and a mm. common goal. If you were the minister, if you had a one on one with Lindy, where Sisulu right now, the minister of tourism or better yet, you were Lindy where Sisulu as the minister of tourism. What are the given the fact that you are exposed now to the industry and your business operates exclusively in that realm, or I say exclusively, I'm focusing on the cruise side, what would you want to happen? How would you change the rules of the game somewhat? I mean, the fact that people aren't traveling as freely ultimately hurts you. It does. And firstly, I'd obviously congratulate her on her appointment. I think it's a it's a very high-profile appointment, and it's important for, for her to get on top of the issues. I think one of the challenges is that tourism spans multiple different uh, sort of ministerial positions. So you've got aircraft, which is under transport, cruises, which falls under a myriad of different options. Home affairs. Home affairs, security, cluster, uh, tourism. So there isn't one stakeholder that you can go and talk to. And I think that's one of the challenges in terms of the response that we've had, that uh, we don't... uh, we, we, we have fragmented in our response and we need to get more unified in terms of talking about tourism as a, as a unified front and collaborating together as the different sectors in putting South Africa on the map, making sure that we sell South Africa as a holistic destination, not just Cape Town, not just Durban, not as the Kruger Park, which everyone identifies with, mm-hmm. but as a holistic. And, and the value chain looking at that in terms of what we can do from aircraft bringing people in to hotel chains, to rangers, to... Uh, people selling, uh, you know, uh, curios on the side of the side of the, the street. You know, how do we integrate all of that into into one tourism bundle that's attractive to to people coming in, and that's almost resilient to the own goals you referred to. Let's talk about a, a lot of these things because I mean, ultimately, we are talking about a country selling its culture that becomes attractive to the cultures of the world coming to it and experiencing it. And the best way to involve the cultural aspect or sort of to sell the cultural aspect, a bigger pardon, is to use South Africans. So where is this discord? Because we're not getting the returns typically that we should be seeing in the tourism sector industry at large. Our culture, I mean, when you talk about South Africa overseas, what are people talking about? What is it? I I really want to get to the core of this. Why is South Africa not exporting something to the rest of the, the world that makes the world want to come to South Africa? And and if it is happening, because I speak almost on a blank page and not operating in the industry, if there is that thing, how can we get more returns out of that thing? I think it is happening. So South African tourism is very active internationally in doing it. I think the, the sort of challenges of changing people's perceptions takes time. And, you know, also... Uh, people who go overseas, I've traveled a lot, I've come back to South Africa, I lived in New York, I lived in London, I lived in Prague, and I've come back to South Africa because I love the culture. Um, you mentioned the fact that uh, my name is Sipo, it was because people that I worked with called me it because I spoke Zulu. And they identified that with me, and I think that's very important for me to understand how we get that cultural dynamic across. And, you know, I think as South Africans, we, we're very resilient. We're united. We, we are a rainbow nation, and we're very, we're very good at, at uh, being resilient, and we need to make sure that we sell that. 
and we, we come across with our own cultural uniqueness. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the World Cup, for example, we all bandied together for a month and we did something beautiful. For a month. We produced, yeah, but we produced something incredible. That's something we need to look at and build on. And every person in the country is, is around, has to, has to pull their part. You're referring to 2010, right? 2010, yes. yes. Okay. And I think it was incredibly successful. And I think the world hoped we failed and we didn't. We were successful. We were brilliant. And that, that's a testament to the wonderful culture and the wonderful people we have within this country. And I think we need to embrace that and sell that to the rest of the world instead of, you know, remaining quiet when the UK is on the red list, or has us on the red list, or it's the South African variant of COVID. It's not. Our scientists were brilliant. We found yeah. it before anyone else. So don't penalize us. Give us the opportunity to, to show us what we're capable of. And, and I think that's something we don't necessarily do as well as other countries. And, and a lot of our... We don't have monuments. We don't have sort of old buildings like they have in Rome. But what we have is a culture and a people. And we have great natural resources. Let's use it. Absolutely. 2029, we have one voice note to Sipo Vilagazi, a.k.a. Ross Falk, Managing Director of MSC Cruises. In a couple of minutes, he will take over. The studio will be his as well as the guests will be his. And you will be at his complete and total mercy. Please show him the love and respect that you always do me and guests who occupy the seat in the capacity that he shall in a few minutes from now. But most importantly, do participate in the conversation. Johannesburg. 714 2006. That's the number to dial. Otherwise, drop us a voice note, and we do have one already on 0614 104 Alternatively, just text your message to that very same one. Let's hear the voice note. My wife and I are big fans and guests of MEC. I've done over eight or nine cruises with them, both north and south, mainly relocation. Fantastic value for money and great ships starting on the Melody. Perhaps a comment from your guest on the poor response of our government in supporting cruising as an income for our country. It seems to me, as a country, we've been very slow off the mark. And it was something I was distressed me enormously when I see what happens in Europe and how poorly we respond in our country to encouraging people to visit South Africa and particularly visiting cruise liners, Mike Newlands. Fantastic. Mike Newlands is always on the money. Well, maybe not always, but he's on the money now. Mike, thanks so much for the comment. And uh, you know, perception is always a difficult thing to manage because people don't see what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, yes, I think that we've been a little slow in our response and we haven't managed to get the cruising up and running, but I think it's a very difficult topic. It's something to balance between safety and security and uh, the livelihoods of people. And I think, you know, I've worked very closely with many members within the government and I've been very impressed with the way they've approached it from a pragmatic perspective. Yes, we can always do more and I think that we need to do more to get it operational. But, uh, you know, it is a, it is a challenging situation that uh, that needs careful consideration because we'd hate we want to resume cruising in the safest possible fashion. Mm-hmm. Our health protocols, we believe, are very good. We've run ships since last year, August globally. We're about to welcome our 11th ship from 19 vessels into uh, operation in the fleet. So we've done a lot from a health and safety perspective. Um, but, you know, from a government perspective, it's it's really looking at how to manage all the risks. And, and I don't envy the, the position that they find themselves in. And I think that they've worked hard. Many people behind the scenes that you as, as uh, sort of listeners don't see. And, and I can attest to the fact that, that they've done really, really well. I mean, just another comment, I, I moved 2,500 crew members last year in and out of South Africa, and I can safely tell you that the best airline to manage that situation last year was SAA, without question. 
we'll talk about SAA one day. Perhaps you might want to come back and just offer your thoughts. But can we just focus one last question from you on the oceans economy? You're, op- you're certainly closest to all the people I've ever interviewed outside the CEO of SAMSA on that. Opportunities around South Africa's 3,000 kilometers of coast. I mean, it's the Atlantic Ocean. It's the Indian Ocean, it's east, it's west, right through from in Port Nolith, right around as far as Richards Bay even. There must surely be more that we in this country can be doing from a food security perspective, seafood, from using the fact that the Northern Cape, the Western Cape, the Eastern Cape, as well as KwaZulu-Natal have a coastline and effective use of the railway system. There, there must be more that this country can be doing. I mean, there are all discoveries being discovered now on the east coast of Durban and um, Total more recently, sort of in the southern Garden Route area. I just forget the name. But I mean, LNG, yeah. Yeah, there's opportunity. There, there, there must be more. The fact that Operation Pakisa exists, at least to the extent that it does, is confirmation that there's opportunity. We are not using it as much as we do. And this is probably, there's no better invitation for us to engage the ocean's economy, more especially when we have the economic outlook as it is. I think from a from an infrastructure perspective, that's the biggest negative that affects Africa and South Africa in particular. So if you take a look at the comparison, you know, the Mediterranean's three and a half thousand kilometers in width. Okay, if I asked you to name the number of ports that you want to call at and that you can call at with a vessel, you can name 50. Uh, in South Africa, there are four ports of embarkation and disembarkation of cruise vessels. You have Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, Durban and Richards Bay one of which is a significant coal exporter. So it's you know quite challenging and dirty. There is a lot more that can happen, but it's got to be about infrastructure development. In distance in Africa is also one of the challenges in terms of the fact that stuff is so far apart. You know, in Europe, 600 kilometers takes you through four or five countries and you know five cities, yeah. whereas 600 kilometers in South Africa gets you between Joburg and Durban. Um, you know, so, so that's part of, the, part of the challenge. So, you know, yes, or I agree Cape with- Cape Town and Colesburg. Oh, yeah. So you, you've, got to, you've got to secure the infrastructure, uh, rail networks for, for moving uh, goods. From a tourist perspective, you've got to look at making it attractive and safe for people to, to travel. And you've got, to, you've got to enlighten people as to what's available in those places. Brilliant. Well, that's the preliminary engagement that I have with Ross Falk, Managing Director, MSC Cruises. Otherwise, you can call him Sipo Vilagazi. He certainly will not mind. After the ad break, it's hashtag the Tuesday Takeover with him. It's SAFM Viewpoint. I'm out. We'll be back at nine, but this is probably more interesting between now and top of the hour. Viewpoint, eight to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhezomapete on SAFM. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Tuesday Takeover uh, on the Songhezo Show with Ross Volk, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, this evening, I have uh, two distinguished guests, uh, Chafiwe Chavengwa, from, uh, he's the CEO of the Tourism Business Council of South Africa, and uh, Mr. Andy Payne, who's the chairman of uh, Thornybush Lodges. And we're going to talk tonight about uh, what we do post-COVID to ensure that we recover from a, tur- from a sector perspective and to ensure that uh, we grow the tourism sector because I think it's one of the most beneficial areas in terms of employment. Uh, before the break, I was talking about the number of people it employs globally and uh, talking about the impact that uh, COVID has had on, on the tourism sector. So I think it's a very, very important uh, part of the economy in order to grow employment, which is obviously a priority of the South African government. So I think it's something very, very close to our hearts. Um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to having a conversation with Chafiwa and Andy and getting their views. So uh, I think we have Chafiwa on the line, so if we can uh, b- bring him on. Evening, Chafiwa. Good 
Good evening, Ross. Uh, uh, yeah, to you and your listeners, uh, I hope you're doing well. Thanks. Yes, it's uh, been a particularly challenging uh, couple of months, but uh, we're, we're hopefully moving forward. So welcome, Chifu, and thanks so much for accepting the invitation. Um, you know, so I think, you know, let's dive into, into the question. You know, what, what do we think, uh, what do you think we should be doing uh, post-COVID to ensure the tourism sector places itself on the map and grows, uh, grows itself to ensure that we can employ a lot more people and, uh, and uh, contribute to the GDP? Well, uh, look, Ross, uh, you know, pre-pandemic, uh, tourism was um, uh, sort of, I would say in 2019, stagnant uh, in terms of, if you look back at the numbers of 2018, 2017, but there was hope that uh, we were going to recover and get to the higher numbers. And one thing that we did in, in, in 2018, 2019, was to put together a plan through what we call the Public-Private Growth Initiative that looks into how tourism can perform uh, towards 2030. And we were looking at that time saying that we could double the number of tourists into South Africa, also stimulate domestic travel, uh, you know, and therefore get this double-digit growth, and also double the number of people that are employed in tourism. Uh, if you look at uh, how many people are employed now, you're looking at around, well, pre-pandemic, about one and a half million. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the percentage to, to the labor force, uh, you know, in South Africa, you're looking at around 4.5% of the total employment that was created by tourism. Mm. It was pre-pandemic. And then the pandemic came, and then we look at around 470,000 jobs that have been lost. Now, we need to recover, uh, you know, after or with COVID. And we need to regrow, uh, you know, the first thing that we need to do is how do we protect the supply side of tourism? We need to look at how do we make sure that, you know, the businesses that are within tourism continue to recover and they grow and create more employment and impact the economy. That, that's the first and foremost challenge that we have in front of us. And uh, that challenge can only be met if we work together with government. Uh, of course, as a private sector, we have to be collective and resolute in, in, in what we're doing to make sure that we reach those numbers. But there is an opportunity for us to go back to the plan that we had uh, the pandemic mm-hmm. and to really look at the numbers and say, you know, if we cannot double the number of employment by 2030, can we at least get to 75%? If we cannot double the, 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 the contribution to the GDP uh, of South Africa by 2030, can we at least move from the 3% that we have now, which is a direct contribution, to at least a 6% direct contribution, which will mean indirect will be over 10%. So those are the things that we've got to work, you know, with and work together to make sure that that happens. There is a pent-up demand. There's a lot of people that want to travel to South Africa. We are restricted by very few things that uh, we are working on, from the red listing to unfavorable travel advisories to vaccination rate and so forth and so on. But there is hope and there's a chance, and I do believe that as a sector, we will be able to recover and we will be able to really reclaim uh, you know, the, the contribution to employment and the contribution to the economy that we used to have pre-pandemic. Perfect, thanks. And and you mentioned an important topic point. You know, what what is what does government need to look at in order to to free up the the private sector to grow this? Um, you know, is it is it less regulation? Is it more regulation? How do we how do we make it effective? Well, we <clears throat> we don't need less regulations. Um, you know, if you look at the situation that we're in right now. Uh, in terms of disaster management regulation, there's a lot of things that are missing in it. 
uh, and that we today debated, uh, you know, we have this situation of start and stop, which shows that we don't understand how the industry operates. You cannot have a tourism industry operating when there's no certainty. People book in advance and they don't want to arrive at a, at a destination and they cannot, you know, have a glass of wine or they cannot go to the beach or go to a park. We cannot have that. So we need lesser regulation. And we need to ensure that, you know, all sectors of the economy, if we talk about domestic and regional tourism, you were talking about uh, in, the, in the previous, uh, you know, half an hour, you know, when you look at the issue of, uh, of, of cruising, there is no reason at the moment why cruising is not allowed to happen. And this is something that I've been arguing, you know, the whole day today at Netflix to say, you know, how does it make sense that a hotel on the, yeah. in, in the sea is not allowed to operate and, and people are allowed to gather? It makes no sense. And, uh, you know, it, it, it turned out that, you know, everyone wants to argue about ventilation. Uh, and I said, well, but have we really looked at the protocols that, you know, and, and, and how these ships are configured? in terms of the air circulation inside, and nobody has looked at that. And these are the things that we ought to be able to say, well, there has to be less regulation and more consultation. And also, if we are to have a regulation, it has to be consulted on, it has to, be, to pass the master, and it has to be you know, uh, you know, discussed across various departments so that there's hmm. coordination, there's correlation, and we're all doing the same thing. Yeah, so well, you have too much regulation doesn't work. Less regulation... Let's get business to do what business does best. Let's get the business to impact the economy. Well, ethical business practices. I think that's a very important thing. We, we as we as the private sector need to do things with the, with the greater good, and to look uh, very carefully at at how we do things. No, absolutely. We, we definitely have to do that, uh, and we have to to be able to to follow the protocols. And we've been doing it, and mm. we, we have pro- proven as a private sector that we can do things faster and in a safe way. And if you look at how the tourism sector was reopened, uh, from being banned from interprovincial travel to us fighting to reopening, to, to, to protocols development, to many things that government is only coming into play now. We've done it on our own, and we can do more on our own. But one of the biggest things now, and, and that, I've, that I've been saying is that, you know, if we have to say that people should be able to do certain tourism activity, including cruising, only if they're vaccinated, so be it. But we need to pronounce on it. And one of the things that we discussed today is to say, well, government needs to make a firm, firm stance in terms of mandatory, you know, vaccination. And we as businesses, you know, we should be able to, you know, to operate, uh, and especially those that are unable to operate, including sporting events, uh, you know, theaters and many other places that people gather, be it formal and informal. We need to be allowed to operate and be given a regulation that says, you can go ahead, provided that the people that are getting on the cruise, as an example, are vaccinated. And we are mm. ready to do that. And those are things that government should be able to, 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 to stand firm and say, let those that are vaccinated enjoy greater freedom and being able to do these things, if there is a hesitation when it comes to that. I think that's quite critical. Yeah, I mean, obviously the topic of vaccination is quite a sensitive one because we have to look at uh, constitutional rights of a right to choose and I think you know that's enshrined and it's important but I do agree with you in terms of you know we have to look at a stance and we have to look at how we go ahead with it uh, I know that MSC's protocols is is built on a hybrid situation um, but you know if, if government proclaims on vaccinations uh, being mandatory it's something that we have to comply with and we will we'll gladly go and look at it to, to resume cruising but uh, we are prepared for a hybrid 
uh, a hybrid situation. Um, one final comment from you, Chafira. You know, what would what's your kind of uh, outlook for the next couple of months for for tourism? Well, what what needs to happen in the couple in a couple of months is that number one, we shouldn't have a situation where uh, there's a you know stopping of tourism sector to operate. That's going to be devastating for the industry. We need certainty. People need to be able to book now, knowing that they will be able to travel in November and December and uh, uh, January. If we cannot do that, you know, we need to stop talking about tourism recovery because we, we are not putting action behind it. So that's number one. Certainty is key. And for people, business people, to be able to bring people back to work is going to be dependent on us not going back to that. And for us as a tourism business council, we will not allow that to happen. So that's number one. The, the next thing that we need to do, government has to live by example. Government needs to start traveling. Uh, you know, corporates will follow if government starts traveling. This will impact the domestic tourism on a higher pace. The third thing is that the international markets you know, need to reopen. And we need to work collectively to remove South Africa from the red list. And we hope that by this Thursday, we will get some better news in terms of how South Africa is going to be removed from the red list in the U.K., uh, we need to get South Africa to be more favorable by those that are, in, you know, in the in the European Union and, yeah. and many other countries, including the U.S., to be able to come down to South Africa. And the the, the, the launch of the global advocacy program by South African tourism and ourselves is going to be critical to make sure that we get more people coming into the country, going to our lodges, spending more money, and creating employment both in the urban area. And, uh, and in rural areas. So awesome. if we don't do that properly, we're yep. going to have a problem. But we hope to do that uh, in a very proper way and succinctly to make sure the tourism recover. Cool. Thanks very much, Tafiwa. I really appreciate uh, you coming online. And uh, thanks for your candid comments. We appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Um, and we look forward to welcoming you on a cruise soon. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Um, and then when we return, we're going to have uh, Mr. Andy Payne. To all those who are reporting for work every day to help us all fight against COVID-19, we say thank you. Thank you. SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Turning conventional wisdom on its head. Welcome back. Uh, it's uh, the Songhezo Show. It's Ross Volk taking on the Tuesday Takeover. Um, if you want to call in, it's 011-714-2006. If you want to send a voice note, 0614-104-107. Please keep them under one minute and uh, no background noise. Uh, my second and final guest this evening is Mr. Andy Payne. Welcome, Andy. Hello. Um, hello, Ross. Thanks very much for joining me. Uh, uh, pleasure, yeah. Andy, uh, just to, to lead on from the conversation we had with Chafiwa, you know, what do you think uh, we, we need to do as an industry to, to kind of grow tourism in South Africa so that we, we put ourselves first in terms of employment uh, and, and put ourselves first on the map globally? Yeah, look, I'm, I, I, I think we, we've done a lot right in the past. Um, you know, I might have a little bit of a different view. I mean, I think my... My view is that the industry is a lot bigger than people understand it to be. You know, and I don't think it's four and a half percent of of people employed. I think it's closer to 
the worldwide number of 10 or 12 percent. I think it's probably one of the biggest contributors to 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 the economy, certainly globally. And I think it's underestimated in this country when you look at all the indirect benefits that flow from tourism. And um, so, you know, for me, um, the first thing that needs to happen is for the government to realise the value and the importance of the sector and to partner it in, in a genuine way where it comes to the table, you know, w- you know, with a, a proper long-term sustainable plan that doesn't involve the stop-start, um, you know, that enables us to be listened to and heard. Um, he considers all of our insights and knowledge um, and, and assists in modelling a proper plan. Because I think, having said all of this, I think at the end of the day, we've got an extremely competitive product. Um, and I think, you know, outside the loss of international tourism, I think the one, one benefit of COVID is that it's taught the domestic market, you know, how, how good and uh, how phenomenal our local product actually is. You know, I've just come back from a trip to the Western Cape to see the flowers, and it's a world-class product, absolutely world-class. Um, and you also realize that small little towns out there depend on tourism largely depend on tourism and um you know you know and i respect there's a lot of agriculture in the area but you know tourism is a very important role play, you know in the livelihoods of those people so you know, i think a genuine partnership with the government one where we can work together um one where we you know we can open access um have you know have a more stable outlook that can enable people to book more environment um you know the stop start doesn't work uh, as has been previously pointed out, it's, it's impossible to 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 make long, medium to long term travel plans when you actually don't know whether yeah. you can travel. Um, and I, having said that, I respect that the you know the source markets are also playing the same game. So it's not it's not only us in that space. You know, um, you know, a lot has been said about us coming off the red list and the impact it's going to have. The rumour today that we're coming off the red list resulted in a, a huge number of bookings for us. You know. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, you know, Andy, your your business like mine's been very af- affected by by COVID restrictions. You know, what what was the impact on on Thornybush? And uh, you know, do you also see South Africans touring their own country? Yeah, so I think the positive impact is that it's it's created a large amount of awareness amongst the domestic market. Um, you know, ar- around promoting product to the domestic market. And I think if we can hold on to certain of that market, um, I think it's going to be hugely beneficial for tourism because I think, you know, it, you know certainly in my sector, um, and I speak, you know, largely on my sector, it was 99% international. And I think there needs to be a better mix of domestic and international tourism. We need to be more resilient to some of these knocks. Um, so I think that's one of the positives, certainly. We are going to lose some of the domestic market to SA outbound, mm-hmm. but that's understandable. We will still keep some of it if we can deal with the rates. I mean, we'll have to look at the right structures. Perfect. Thanks, thanks, Andy. Um, we've got one voice note that I want to uh, play, and then uh, we'll uh, sorry, we uh, we'll play it now, and then we'll go to one final question to you, Andy. Honestly uh, speaking, uh, this cruise industry is helping South Africa a lot. Even though we people work in the industry, the government never consider us, but we bring a lot of dollars in the country. We're unemployed for almost two two years. We never get anything from the government. The artists and everybody, they're getting something. We must also respect this uh, cruise industry. They are doing very well for South Africa. There are a lot and a lot of South African working 
in the cruise industry. Can you also please consider those crew members as well? Uh, good evening, Mr. Ross and SAFM family. I just want to find out, I think I heard before COVID, I think there was a Shosholoza Hospitality Academy that was going to be open here in Durban for people to do hospitality in the MSC. I don't know if that is still going on and how, where's the, what website can we find it from? Thank you very much from Durban. Thanks very much for the question. So obviously we need to support our crew members and the Shoshalosa Osha Academy was started uh, uh, by MSC Cruises and MSC Cargo as a collaboration to ensure that we had a sustainable source of people to put on board our vessels in our growing fleet. Um, it's a fully paid for initiative by the company so people going to the school don't have to pay um, and they get a qualification that either they allow they go on board and work or it's something that has an NQF level and it's welcomed by uh, the sort of wider community within South Africa. So it's something that we, we're very proud of and it's something we continue to do. Um, it's based in Durban um, and you can access it uh, through the website socialozaoceanacademy.co.za. Uh, um, Andy, thanks very much for, for being on. Uh, maybe a last uh, comment from you on where you see things progressing for South Africa and your company in particular. Yeah, look, I mean, I think things are, are, are going to improve. I'd, um, you know, tourism is definitely going to come back. Um, it's just a question of when and how fast. Um, you know, and if we have the stop-start program that's been followed in the past, um, it'll just take longer. Um, so, you know, there's, there's sufficient disposable income out in our source markets. Is is more time than they've had before, so time's not an issue. Um, it's just now about, you know, having an unregulated, you know, travel environment which is safe, and um, and if we can provide that, we will grow probably at a much faster rate than we than we would expect. But um, my outlook would be a cautious one until you know we've got you know probably a high level of vaccinations in this country, um, and um, and we can provide a safe environment for these people to come to. Um, our environments are incredibly safe. We haven't had one case of you know guest to staff COVID. That's the only thing we can measure. So, you know, we, we practice incredibly strict protocols, and um, I believe that we can provide a safe environment. But, you know, travellers aren't going to travel when they book today and they, you know, can't travel tomorrow because of a regulation, a further lockdown. So I think that's what the government's got to try and do and to, and to realise how important the sector is because it's massive, it's huge, and it's important. Yeah. And it's the biggest potential employer in this country. Thanks, Andy. I really appreciate your views. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you and your industry. Thanks so much for joining me this evening, uh, and uh, have a good evening. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. All right, so before we take two calls, uh, 011-714-2006, the telephone line, um, and let's go to Jay in Durban. Uh, good evening to you, Siko Vilagasi. Good evening. We've got a terrific holiday. Uh, People being the guest, our producer just gave me the meeting. And Vilakazi, a very, very uh, famous name where our late president's residence uh, or is, and uh, very appropriately given to you the gifts to a very famous road that's taking the rest of the world around the world. <laughs> yes. Um, Yes, one of the things that uh, I, I, I noted is about being bilingual. I think uh, uh, you must be um, uh, 
multilingual in the number of countries that you travel. How encouraging is this to people that's working on the ship cruise? And the other thing is, uh, from South Africa, to promote South African musicians, artists, and cultural aspects and the artifacts of the... That uh, every port that you're called in at have a flea market day, you know, half a day in that particular uh, area of port to show what South Africa is producing. Maybe that's when people will come more into South Africa, encourage tourism and so forth. Yeah, I know it is in, might be impossible, but uh, hoping a dream like this will happen and we can have other visitors showing us exactly what's going on around the world. So yeah. we can get on the... Um, during COVID-19, I missed the boat. Mm-hmm. Yes, I literally missed the boat. <laughs> well, it, it's yes, a ship. Yes, <laughs> yeah, the ship, the ship, yeah. Uh, well, uh, 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 and uh, one of the fantastic things about history tells us that we make connection through ship sailing to different parts, different parts of the world, and really, really, we have to appreciate this ship that sails on the sea. I mean, uh, air flights, um, yeah. Air Jay, flights Jay, 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 we need yeah. to move on. We need to move on, please. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate the call. Um, just in terms of the questions you asked, I think traveling has opened my eyes to the cultural diversity that exists in the world. But one of the things that I'm very proud of is the fact that South Africa has such an incredible culture. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that, you know, 11 official languages. Um, and if you if you take the time to learn one uh, other than English, uh, you, you really get to understand the culture of people uh, and what South Africa means. And and that's a privilege that, that uh, I'm very humbled to do every day. And I really appreciate it. Um, in terms of uh, one last call. No. OK, it fell away. Um, so, you know, we, we also talk about. Um, the opportunities that exist and, and after news we'll, we'll touch on it uh, briefly before we end off um, and uh, it's been a great privilege to be on this show and thanks so much uh, Songezi for everything and uh, we head over to news on the viewpoint they call it an encore and on this platform we call it back by popular demand of course Sipo Vilagazi our guest very recently and then turned talk show host now a guest again wearing two hats in the space of one very short hour and it continues 2105 is the time good evening everybody again it's the viewpoint with songs on my bed the guest continues just to offer some insights because the previous hour just went by way too quickly and i think some of the questions that have come through and some of the opportunities for discussion still are important and specifically talking about opportunities we need to touch on opportunities we need to talk employment we need to talk collaboration all in the context of the oceans economy, in the context of tourism. And there isn't a better voice, certainly, than that of Mr. Ross Falk. In fact, one of our listeners on WhatsApp, and I'll get back on on, on Twitter, has commended the fact that you, Ross, are a natural on air. You sound very seasoned. It's like you have always been doing this. Truth or dare? Truth. Have you done this before? No, it's the first time, and I think that listener's very generous. <laughs> I don't think he is. I think he's been very honest. But let's talk, I mean, in the, what, five minutes that we have with you. Opportunities in the broad, all specific sense, employment, broader specific, and collaborations. Because, I mean, I'll just ask this question as to guide you. The Shoshaloza Ocean Academy, that's something which I didn't engage, and I think is incredibly important. 
Yeah, so I think we, we identified a need in terms of crew members going on board um, that getting a qualification necessarily uh, that allows you to go on with experience. So whenever you go for a job interview, someone says, well, what experience do you have? And and it was really kind of relevant that, that there wasn't anything in South Africa that allowed this opportunity. Mm. And again, funds are also quite difficult to to access in, in these spaces. So what uh, what MSC did was uh, we opened the Ocean Academy. Um, it gives a th- sort of three-month training program to individuals. Um, the only requirement is that uh, you pass a medical um, and that you have your safety training, the STCW, uh, completed, which is a mandatory maritime qualification. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you're uh, schooled in sort of the sort of art of, of being on board a ship, what to expect, how it's going to work. Um, we're, we're working on it being NQF accredited, so it allows you the opportunity to also have some kind of… Uh, At what level will that be when uh, it is? To be honest, I speak under correction, but, uh, you know, it would be sort of a post-diploma uh, kind of qualification, but I, I speak under correction, sure, so well. I'd have to get the information more accurately. Um, but, you know, the idea behind it is to really promote uh, crew members going on board. And one of the things from the, the Shorsha Laws Ocean Academy is that it's a feeder for our ships and vessels around the world. So we have 19 vessels at the moment, and our plan is to have around 27 by 2027. Mm-hmm. So we're growing the fleet exponentially, and we need people to fill it. Um, so we want people to go from that academy on board the vessel um, and, and grow and start their career. You know, and if, even if you go for one contract and come back, you've got experience. You've got how long some, is the contract? Uh, between seven and nine months, depending on uh, on. Sorry, that's pre-COVID. Five months at the moment, uh, post-COVID. Yes. But we hope some things will return to normal. Uh, Let's talk about the downstream um, part of the MSC business, if you like, or in the broader sense, the cruise industry particularly from a collaboration perspective or from a supply perspective. I mean, you mentioned the fact that there's a 300 rand million facility that was just about everything bar the steel was sourced locally. That's great, you know, because that means you're talking about local industries benefiting Mm. from our local infrastructure build. Now, there would be those who probably would have listened to that a little bit more attentively or would want to sort of get a slice of the pie. And I believe if you slice it correctly, everybody can have a slice of that pie. Let's talk about the downstream aspects yes. to the industry. So, I mean, cruising's massive. You know, in terms of the volume of passengers that you're, you're uh, uh, transporting, you've got a uh, hundred thousand passengers a year. The downstream impact to to KZN, to Durban, uh, excuse me, to to Cape Town is huge. Uh, we source a lot of our uh, fresh produce from South African sources. Um, the volumes are huge um, in terms of it fish as well locally. Um, you know, we do a lot from from a local perspective, and the supply chain is quite significant. I mean, you see trucks going into uh, into the, the the cruise hold. Uh, the capacity is massive to to store it. So there is some a lot that we do, and and we we try as best we can to source as many things from a local perspective as possible. Um, and the same would go with with the terminal. Port Nolith mm-hmm. is hours scarcely used you've got the oldest port in the country it's london what many people don't know i do know that the oldest port in the country and i'll claim it because i'm a slummies boy in many respects and you didn't count it in the four i mean you mentioned richards bay durban Klebecha with Kucha, of course, and Cape Town, Cape Town being Cape Town. Why would East London, with the entry point that it is to the Eastern Cape, and I mean the, 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 the population that is concentrated, that is fed off East London, not feature when it has at least basic infrastructure, why would we, we being, of course, the country, not improve on the infrastructure in Port Nolith, not just from a tourism perspective, but from a trade facilitation perspective, because you've got 
the biggest landmass, the Northern Cape, essentially not been catered for. It's got some of the best roads simply because they're not used mm. as much. And it's almost at the nexus of South Africa and Uppington. The N7 is not far from there into Namibia. Kimberley would be that much closer without the traffic and also just a beeline straight from there. Why would we not improve our infrastructure or make sure we use it optimally? So in terms of the, the number of ports that you can call at from an international perspective, there's only four because Home Affairs has to have a presence for an, an embark, a point of embarkation. So like there's many airports in South Africa, you're only able to come through the international airports as designated. So something similar from a port perspective. Yeah. So East London is is uh, one quite small, so it can't support the vessels in excess of uh, sort of 90,000 tons, which MSC Music or Orchestra, which has graced our shores, previously has. Um, and secondly, it's not a port of international disembarkation or embarkation, same as Saldana Bay, um, and, and the likes. In terms of Port Nolith, uh, I know there was a conversation I had uh, pre-COVID with uh, the Department of Transport around uh, what we would do with, with Port Nolith. But, uh, you know, with COVID happened, it's kind of fallen on the back burner. So, again, it, it comes down to the infrastructure that's available. Has it the capacity to, to carry a vessel the size of, of MSC Musica or MSC Orchestra? Um, or does it need to have something smaller? So, you know, it, it's, it's part of the conversation that we had earlier around infrastructure development um, and, and then the utilization of it. Well, you are here. You are the MD of MSC. Tell us about your business. Are you guys on the water? When will you be on the water? What is happening so far as people utilizing the services that you offer? Well, we're, we're collaborating very strongly with the government. We hope that we'll get some answers in the coming weeks. Um, we are planning for a season that we, uh, we're running from the 18th of November. Uh, we're looking forward to welcoming guests in a very safe environment. We've got a very strong protocol developed internationally, continually adjusted based on the experience we've had. Um, so, you know, we're excited about uh, what's going to happen. Um, there are a couple of developments for next season as well that we'll announce in the coming weeks. Uh, we'll leave that You're as, gonna a, use as a cliffhanger. to announce no, that. No, we'll, well, if you invite me back, certainly. Well, I am. I've just told you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got some exciting things that we're looking at. And uh, we, we, as I said to, to the caller that came in, you know, a lot of things happening behind the scenes. Um, and a lot of work going in and a lot of uh, a lot of hard work from from both government and ourselves and we're working to make sure that cruising resumes as fast as possible in the safest possible fashion fantastic i've got a couple of questions coming through from the producer here it's tourism month and people are probably starting to plan their holiday what does a cruise entail and what do they have to offer please respond to that and also the following question is if i'm on something like a cruise to nowhere what happens won't i get bored on a ship for three days and not docking anywhere theater malls restaurants entertainment at large so what a cruise entails obviously it's the best value for money proposition i think you can get because it's an all-inclusive holiday uh, barring the drinks um, so you get your entertainment your accommodation you get destinations that allow you the opportunity to go ashore so portuguese island Pemeni. Cape Town, various other locations within the Southern Africa space. Um, and in terms of, you know, am I going to get bored on a cruise? I don't think so. So, uh, you know, there's so much entertainment that happens. We plan entertainment. We have daily shows, two daily shows. Uh, we have a lot of entertainment on deck, uh, DJs. Uh, there's a nightclub on board. You can party till the, 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 the sun comes up. Uh, well, not now because you've got COVID restrictions, but, you know, in, in the when past. It when, when it happens. When it happens. Um, I think if you're bored on a, on a cruise ship, it's because you want it to be bored.
Not because there was no opportunity. I say no more. MSC Cruises MD, everybody, Mr. Ralsfolk. Otherwise known as, certainly within the MSC Cruises space, as a Sipo of Villagazio. Final comment then. The Academy. Give us more details, please. I know you mentioned the website earlier on, but is there, I mean, of course, there's a massive demand for the email address because people want to take up the opportunity. Yeah, so I'll, I'll provide the email address to the producer and then you can uh, you can put it out there. Um, I didn't actually put it in my head, unfortunately. Very well. Um, it's, it's a little complicated. Um, but yeah, so in terms of that, uh, I'll provide it to the producer and, and we'll put it on. Thank you very much, Ross. Give a cool It's your birthday next week. I'll see you then. It is. Thanks very much. All the best. Did you have fun? Did you have fun? I loved it. It was great. Thank you very much. And your listeners were were very, very polite and uh, way too kind. So thank you very much. There we go, Jay. Much appreciated. And everybody else who participated. That's why we always bring guests because you guys are polite and ever engaging. 2115.